Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is November 13th, 2014, and this is episode 1464 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you today. Returning to the show after... Uh, a multi-year hiatus, Fernando Fairfowl Aguirre on strategic relocation and bugging out. I'll have him on in just a moment. Before I do that, let us take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Jeff's an awesome guy, man. He's a maniac with customer service, and as the Berkey Guy, you might be shocked to learn that you can get from him, dun-dun-dun, yes, Berkey Water Filtration Systems. But why get your Berkey from the Berkey Guy? There's lots of people that sell Berkeys. Why would you get your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you could get it from the Berkey guy? Think about that. I mean, that in, in all reality is, well, it's kind of a little bit of a joke. But the truth is, Jeff is one of the biggest dealers for Berkey in the world. And uh, he is a great, he is incredibly great at customer service. He'll take care of you. And he's been a supporter of the show for over four years. That's why you should get your Berkey and your Berkey filtration uh, products from the Berkey guy. And you should check out his other really cool stuff at Directive21.com. Next up today, JM Bullion. Um, we're going to talk about economic collapse today. And we are going to talk about how gold and silver are not the only way to protect yourself from economic calamity, but how they are definitely a way. And I try to make sure I have both gold and silver in my portfolio, and I buy that from JM Bullion. And I think you should too, because they are really the only company out there that I found that can compete with the big companies on price like Monix and Atmex and still give you personalized service. That's where I buy my gold and silver. I think you should too, jmbullion.com. Remember Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason and JM Bullion and many other sponsors along with about 40 total companies do provide discounts to you in the benefits section of the Members Support Brigade. So if you're not a member yet, consider joining today. You join the MSB, you'll get all these great discounts. You'll help support the show at about 20 cents an episode. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service along with first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, if you send me an email, and you send that email to jack at com, and you send it before, not after you join the Members Brigade, you put service discount in the subject line, give me one or two sentences about your service, I'll send you a discount code to thank you for your service and save you money on the Support Brigade so you can get a better deal on an already greatly priced product. Uh, with that, let us look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1464. I have three for you. Tax Freedom Day in the Mio... Meow Rebellions, I guess that's how you'd say that. Uh, May Day, Sleeping with the Enemy, and the First French Dictionary in a Dying Language. I'm going to read Tax Freedom Day and the Mayo Rebellions. The Mayo and Yao people have been sent adrift by economic devastation caused by the floods of Yangtze River. Of course, that's in modern-day China. And the monetary restrictions imposed by the Ming Dynasty read as high taxes and a fiat currency. The pressure for rebellion has been building as the crackdown on wildcat silver mining continues. The government has imposed a labor toll that most people are required to work off. People literally work for the government for a fixed time. For four people, Tax Freedom Day is the day that their obligation for government-imposed labor, like dredging out the canal, is fulfilled. Craftsmen and salt makers pay a fee, read as a bribe, to be excused, but for the poor there are a few choices. 
This explains why so many are engaged in illegal activities just to survive. A series of rebellions will break out beginning this year. They will erupt on and off until 1562 when the Chinese government officially allows people to pay a fee instead of taking their actual labor. Uh, my take by Alex Shrug, just so you know, the rebellions are not all due to economics. In 1460, over 1,500 male boys were castrated and made into eunuchs. Hundreds did not survive the mutilation. Nevertheless, the local economic situation was dire, and allowing people uh, with silver to buy land little by little from people who were caught short. It was illegal to deal in unminted silver, but craftsmen demanded silver for payment. And the local government needed craftsmen more than they needed the law. This is not the first time in Chinese history the local government looked the other way when reality did not agree with the ideals of the emperor, and it won't be the last time either. Uh, my take by this, I'm going to go totally off the reservation from where Alex was and tell you this. Nothing's changed at all. And everything that these people fought for to be able to pay a fee versus to do the work is meaningless. Your work is not your own if it's taxed. Your work is not your own if it's taxed. If you live in a nation, which we do, with an income tax, which we do, and a tax on your earnings, which we do, both in the form of income and Social Security, then you are an indentured servant, and we all are. We are indentured servants because our time of and the fruits of our labor are not our own. They are taken from us without our consent, with the threat of violence at the point of a gun. And if you don't pay them, men with guns will come to you and take you away and put you in a place you don't want to go and extort the money from you and take it. And that is what we live in right now. And that's what taxing income is. It's indentured servitude. There is no way around it. There's no logical way around it. And if you wanted to run a society and you needed to raise taxes and you wanted to do so in such a way that people could voluntarily participate at whatever level they chose, you could do it in the form of usage and consumption taxes. When you tax, when you tax labor and property, you have enslaved a society. And all of the people out there that are fighting over which party should tax us and do what with our money are fighting for the right to be an indentured servant. They just want to choose their own master, and that makes you a part-time slave. And frankly, the way that most of us live, we're really full-time slaves with a long vacation period uh, from our slavery here and there. That's it. That's the truth. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So keep telling me how important it is that we choose the right slave master, and um, I probably won't ever see it your way. But that's why. That's where I'm coming from on that, guys. As long as we're taxing labor and we're taxing property, we are saying that the state owns a portion of your efforts. Your time is not your own. You are an indentured servant to the state. What's the solution? Be smart about the time they don't take from you. That's the only one I have for now. With that, let us get into the main topic of today's show. And it's my good pleasure to welcome back to the Survival Podcast, Fernando Fairfalagiri, man. Hey, Fernando, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, it's great talking with you again. Hey, so um, you, uh, you're very well known to, I'd say, a huge segment of this audience. And then there's an entire segment that has no idea who the hell you are. <laughs> so can we start out with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, uh, kind of why you're here to talk about uh, survivalism in general, like some of the things you've been through and where you ended up in the world and why you ended up there? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well, my name is Fernando Aguirre. I lived most of my life in Argentina and unfortunately went through the 2001 economic collapse that took place over there. 
I've always had an interest in in survival preparedness, but seeing how things uh, turned up over there, I kind of had to learn a little bit on the go when things start, started getting a little bit more complicated. And I started sharing what I was uh, seeing and learning through the process uh, over the Internet and different uh, forums and websites and such. I ended up writing a book uh, that uh, it's called the, the Mars Survival Manual, which a lot of people liked. So that's pretty much what, what I dedicated myself in the last few years. And uh, um, almost three years ago, I decided to leave Argentina, given that things were not getting any better, actually getting worse, and I picked up stakes and left Argentina, moved to Ireland. Ireland, huh? Because you like places where there's never been any trouble or... Yeah, okay, <laughs> uh, we'll get more on that in a minute, but um, could you tell people a little bit, like, so we have people talking all the time about what an economic collapse is going to be like, and, yeah. and my my sentiments toward most of those people is they don't have a flipping idea what they're talking about. You know, they always have this road warrior scenario in mind, the, right. the government will drive and blow away, it'll be more, you know, martial law followed by anarchy, and that's just yeah. not the way that economic collapses have traditionally played out like government doesn't go away it gets worse um there is a lot of lawlessness but yet there's also law enforcement and sometimes that's worse than the lawlessness so can you just kind of talk to people about what was it like you know leading up to 2001 and then and then shortly thereafter and then you were there for quite a while before you finally said you know what enough of this crap you know kind of just take us through what that lifestyle was like well you you paint a pretty good picture. It's not what people expect it to be. A lot of times people have these fantasies, but it's mostly based on what they want things to end up being like, you know? Yeah. And it's it's really much more boring, much more scary and stressful. That's one of the main words to use, stressful, because you're worried about everything. You're worried about the economy being torn to pieces. You're worried about getting hurt because of the of the levels of crime, at least in Argentina, that was a huge problem. Uh, what I generally, the, the short word, way of explaining it is, it's the same as what you already know, only much, much worse. You know, it's the, the, the kind of problems you have in your job, you're going to be having those, but more worse because there's going to be more competition, more unemployment. The problems are with your neighbors, everyone's going to be more stressful. Uh, there's going to be more road rage, people uh, hurting each other over anything because they're uh, upset already. And it's very competitive. It's, um, it's a very stressful way to live, basically. Yeah, and there is that, like, historically, like, even in our country here, I've noticed that when financial times get tight, every type of criminal activity, not just theft, not just violent crime, it seems like every type of, of criminal activity goes on the increase because people, when they're more stressed, tend to do whatever they need to get by. And they also maybe at times see, like, the opportunity. Like, if crime rates rise, committing crimes actually becomes easier. Right. It, it, in the case of Argentina, it got to a level where we all realized that there was no way in which what was happening was being controlled by any way. So, as you well said, there's still the government. The government is like the, the cockroach after the nuclear war. It's still <laughs> going to be surviving. It's not going to be going away. So, you know, the government and bankers, there's always, there's always going to be banks and, and governments. So you, you realize that they're not going to be there to help you. They're going to be maybe there to cause you even more problems sometimes. Uh, but uh, you cannot really rely on them on, on keeping you safe. That's something that 
people in developed countries are used to things working uh, on people being afraid of committing crimes because if you do a crime, you end up in jail. Once you realize it, you can do anything you want. In Argentina, it's officially like it's officially less than 98, uh, 98% of the crimes don't get resolved at all. Huh. Nothing. So with those numbers, it's really obvious that being a criminal, it's a pretty safe line of work for you. Well, and that's like aggregate average of all criminals from stupid to intelligent. So the intelligent criminal uh, exactly. probably has a much better escape rate than even you know a 10% conviction or probably at like 2 or 3%. And if I can make money and my odds of going down are 2 to 3%, those are pretty good odds for the criminal element. Exactly. And once you realize that being a little bit smart, being clever who you network with, if you have political allies that help you out, that you know, giving them a little bit of your share. I mean, people think of, as you were saying, the, the road war, the road warrior or Mad Max thing. But in, in realistic, practical terms, if I look at some of the uh, top uh, gang leaders of some of the most successful criminal uh, gangs in the country, I'm talking about guys that actually go out there and, and steal trucks for their content. These are guys that live in gated communities, live the life of a higher middle class type of lifestyle, and they say that they work in imports or business or or whatever, and they are actually you know gun wielding criminals that are like pirates, modern day pirates. What, what do you say to the person that says, "But the reason I think that um, the, you know the government will will dry up and blow away in an economic collapse is, is their money won't be good anymore, so no one will take it." You know, because they, they no, say, like, I can't, they can't pay their soldiers if the dollar's not worth anything. They can't pay their policemen if the dollar's not worth anything. So, so they'll just all go away. Look at countries that have been blown to pieces throughout history all over the world. Don't just look at, I mean, don't just take my example of Argentina, where the government is the main problem. Look at, you know, disastrous African nations that have been a mess for hundreds of years. There's still a government there. There's still a government of some kind. There's there's coups. There are military coups that kick one each one one another out of the government. But there's always a government. There's always going to be some form of government there running things to the benefit of a few of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and my thing is like you compared the government to like the cockroach. I see them almost like. The Terminator, remember the ter- the one with yeah, the, uh, yeah, exactly. like the liquid Terminator that when you <laughs> you know even they froze them in uh, they reconstitute uh, in, themselves in, 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 I, yeah liquid nitrogen and then smashed it into a million pieces and then all the drops came back together. I mean, with the government, it may not look the same as the one that was there before, but the odds that it's going to be better are pretty damn low. And, and, it, and when you look at the people, you know that some of the main names change, but it's always the same people. Floating around, they they just change uh, political allies. They they change the party they are in, but there's there's always the same names floating around, and even their children keep going at it. It's it's crazy, but it's the way it is. What what do you think your biggest lessons learned were? Um, the most important things you learned from the the collapse event in Argentina. I'd say that you know you realize that you have to stay very positive. All this it's. Uh, it brings you down very easily. One of the things I often say is you don't just have to look at the half a full glass instead of the half empty glass of water. You're, you have to be a type of guy that has a quarter of an inch left of water and, and you look at it and say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to be pulling through in spite of having really nothing. That's the kind of attitude that you really need to develop, st- staying very positive. 
Because if not, it's, you have all the reasons to be depressed. You have all the reasons to go nuts. So you have to be very resilient, mentally speaking. So in the end, you finally decided, I've had enough of this shit, and you left. And that's kind of um, shocking to me when you mentioned it was three years ago, because I think the last time I had you on the air, and that I spoke to you on the phone anyway, was right about the time you had moved. So it's been three years. That's, that's kind of yeah. wild just to think about there. Because I do consider you a personal friend, but uh, you did eventually say, you know what, I've I've had enough of this, and you left and you went to Ireland. I think you actually looked at coming to our country, but since yes. you're self-employed, we didn't want you. you know. <laughs> yeah, because I, because <laughs> right. I didn't need any. So money. you ended up choosing <laughs> Ireland. But why did you decide, like, in spite of trying to make the glass, you know, mostly full, even though it was almost empty, like, okay, I've had enough of this, I want to go. It, it was a. It, we've been living like. In pause, you know when you're watching a movie and you hit the pause button? Well, we, we had hit the pause button in our lives because we, we, weren't, we weren't doing any of the things that normal people like doing in their lives. Uh, you know, ha- when, when you're scared of going out for a walk in your own neighborhood, that's not living anymore. And that's the way we were living. And that's the way lots of people live in Argentina. And granted, there's people that just stick their head in the sand and... Or maybe they moved to a gated community. I didn't want to be living behind, you know, bars myself. I think criminals should be the ones living behind bars. And maybe some people don't have a choice other than stay in in denial regarding what's happening. Uh, But uh, I I wasn't one of them. I just needed to get out of there. And as you said, I I tried going to the United States, but it's uh, much more difficult than it's led to believe, given the amount of illegal immigrants that there is. It's very difficult to get there legally, so... I basically had to end up looking at Europe, given that I have European citizenship, as as a, some of my choices. And so, in the end, you took a totally different approach to the the, the term that gets thrown around and batted around so uh, loosely in prepper communities, bugging out. So everybody thinks they're going to bug out uh, with their their bug out truck or their bag right. or whatever, and they're going to go fight the Illuminati and live in the Rocky <laughs> Mountains like. Uh, what was the movie? Uh, Red Dawn, right? right? Which is like preposterous. But in the end, effectively, you did bug out, but you took a totally different approach than the conventional idea of the term. Oh, man. I mean, it was maybe the, the most stressful moment of my life was uh, getting in that car, knowing I was locking the door, never going, no, never coming back, you know, knowing that you're never coming back. Uh, and you know what? People, I, I sometimes laugh. <laughs> well, I, I don't laugh, but... It, it, I just realized when people talk about uh, the inch back, I'm never coming home back. And they make all these lists of stuff. You know what I was worried about? About not losing my passport, not losing my plane ticket. I had enough cash and I had money to get started elsewhere. That's, that's all that mattered. Everything else, uh, the, the, the four or eight suitcases that we took, I could have burned those as I left. I didn't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's the only thing that mattered. The, the passport... The, the plane ticket, enough cash to get you out of there, and, and some money in, a, in an offshore account to get, get started again. I mean, you've said long ago, I remember you saying something like, a passport, a Glock, and $5,000 solves right. a lot of problems. Yeah, that, pretty much that solves 99% of the problems you're likely to, to come across. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, what, what, I mean, sure you keep in touch with people back home in Argentina. So you mentioned the collapse occurred. 2001. Yeah. Here we're in 2014. What's the situation like 
now, same old, same old, getting worse, getting better. I, I, everyone I talk with tells me that it's getting worse. Uh, and I tell them, you know, how, how much worse can it get? Because it, it was already uh, as chaotic as you could possibly think. But they tell me, no, it's, it's still getting worse. It's, uh, the, the crime problem is you just cannot set a foot out of your house uh, w without being worried because there's actually someone looking around. And you realize that they're right because pretty much everyone has been a victim of, of violent crime over there. You, you will not find a single Argentine person that hasn't been a victim of a, of a violent crime in, in, in the last four or five years. If, if they haven't had a, uh, a robbery on the streets or a carjacking or, I mean, almost everyone that I know has is someone that got shot or killed during a crime. So it's, and, and the level of inflation is amazing. I just look at the prices. It's more expensive to live in Argentina than it is to live in the United States or, or Europe. That's 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 hard to even put your thumb down on, right? That like so, the economy collapsed, everything went to shit for the last thirteen years. Things are getting worse, and yet it still costs more to live there than somewhere else. Absolutely, and, and they have to take measures so as to make sure that you don't leave. I actually left exactly when they started implementing uh, restrictions to turning your currency to foreign currencies. So, example, I'll give you a per per perfect example. If I had tried to leave. Or uh, the average Joe that tries to leave uh, three months after I left, he couldn't have sold his house, turned that money to foreign currency, so has to leave. So you're basically economically trapped in the country. Yeah, and the, but it's not just economically trapped, right? Because like obviously people want to get the hell out of there, so they make it difficult to physically leave too. Well, they're trying things like, like uh, you have to explain your reasons for traveling. You, you have to fill uh, like 30 questions where you're going. They look at your, um, at your wages. If you don't earn enough money, they don't let you buy a foreign currency. They don't even let you buy the plane ticket if you're not registered with their, uh, with their government uh, tax thing that they have over there. So it's, it's in increasingly restrictive the way in which they handle things. So when you look at the United States and you see our government starting to implement more and more capital controls as though we need them, I mean, right now, right. banking internationally is more difficult for an American than any other human being on planet Earth. Exactly. But they continue to do things with restriction of wire transfers, uh, making it more difficult to open companies outside of the United States. Like, they'll let you bring all the money you want in. But right. when you try to do anything going out, is that a sign that you think that this government's aware that they have major economic problems and they're instead of trying to react with capital controls, they're trying to put them in as a, a, a preemptive solution? I think that those kind of things mostly damage and hurt the average guy because, as you know, the, the bigger players, the, the top elite always manages to move things around any way they want. But it's mostly measures that they take that hurts the average, uh, the average person, right? Uh, I think that it's, uh, what's happening in the United States right now is, is reminiscent to some way of what's been happening in Argentina for a few years. So, yeah, it is a little bit of a, of a window to the future. I don't think it's going to be as bad, but I think it's, it's a good example of where it's heading, or at least the, the, the kind of, of, of things that you're going to be seeing in the future over there. Um, not as bad, but... A little bit more like it, unfortunately, every passing year. So you have a book out now about bugging out. 
And I, I'm going to guess that this book is about bugging out more in the way that you did <laughs> yeah. than the way that I think the prepper, uh, the prepper right. porn community, I guess, uh, always talks about bugging out to the mountains or the wilderness or whatever. Yeah, well, I basically, as the title of the book says, it's bugging out and relocating. I basically try to cover what I did, which was more of a bugging out abroad type of thing, a relocating. You know, I wasn't relocating with a company having my my stuff shipped and such, but um, it's more of a more of a drastic thing compared to maybe if there's a a natural disaster, your house burns down, you still have to get out of there. Maybe you have to move somewhere else within your neighborhood, maybe to some other city. It's not as drastic as what I did, but it's still realistically possible. I think that the most extreme case is what ended up happening, like like what I ended up doing. Uh, look at some of the people in, in Syria, the refugees. Uh, those guys are trying to do what I did, but unfortunately they don't have the resources and they basically ran out of time. People in Syria that left before everything blew up as it did, uh, maybe got into a plane like I did, maybe got somewhere else with whatever money they had and they're in a much better position than, the, than those that waited too long to leave. Yeah, I mean, I look back at... Any of the wars that happened, I can go back to the American Civil War, and nice. I, I look at things like that and go, if you would have been paying attention, you could have got out of the way of a lot of the things that have gone, right. whether it's an economic collapse or a war. Um, and there's a lot of people, I think, that come up with a major sense of normalcy bias. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. And by the time they admit something's wrong, like it's in full-on, complete meltdown. Yeah. I think you have to be... Uh, aware, uh, just like a, like like you are aware of your surroundings in terms of, of safety uh, regarding crime and such, you have to be aware of what's happening around you uh, in a in a more broad term regarding the economy, the government. It gets to a point where you see things uh, adding up in a way that is not very positive, and you may have to ask yourself some tough questions: Should I leave? Should I stay? Uh, unfortunately, when it when the answer is you really have to leave, a lot of people go into denial and just try to think of something else. Uh, but as you say, it gets to a point where you're kind of suggested to leave. It gets to a point where you cannot leave anymore. So it's <laughs> always a good idea to leave when, you, when all these factors are suggesting that it's better for you to leave. What about the people that say, well, like, where do I go? How do I choose where to go? Do I go? I mean, there's a, like a lot of people would say, I don't have anywhere to go. Right. Right. So how, how does a person then, you know, actually make the decision, like, I, I got to get out of here. And, I mean, because everybody can't leave. There's, in my country, there's 330-odd million people, depending on who you believe. Right. Like, they all can't leave. Uh, of course. N not all of them will leave. Not all of them will want to leave in spite sure. of realizing that that's their best, the best thing to do. In the case of, of Argentina, what is like a quarter million people left between uh, the, the first uh, 10 years of the, of the crisis. And that's through Europe alone. Many, many of those that left the United States were not accounted for uh, or other places. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't know anyone else in any other country. How do I get up? You, start, you have to start networking and, and uh, exploiting any resources that you have, any family, any friends that you have living abroad. Start talking with them a little bit more often. Even if it's just someone giving you a couch so as to get there uh, until you find a job, until you start getting back on your feet, that's much better than nothing. 
Uh, I came here uh, and I didn't know anyone. I mean, I came, I had my, my family in Spain, but in, in, in Northern Ireland, I didn't know a single soul, you know. And, and still, I managed to get back on my feet. It's, it's a matter of will. If, if you don't have much of an option, you will always find a way. What are your thoughts? In, you know, America is a very... A lot. Of, I, I never want to say you know we're different because everybody thinks it's different. Yeah. But in some ways, we really are. There's yeah. really not another nation in the world that's made up of 50 states. Yeah, and each of those states have the the level of autonomy that in our republic they even still do. And some of them use that autonomy for less evil and some for more. Right. What about the concept in in a nation this size of maybe not bugging out of the country, but from one area to another? Uh, exactly. I think it would be it would take something very extreme to force you out of the United States. I think that um, mo most likely, if it really gets bad in your state, you have the option of moving to another state. Basically, in the United States, it works almost like in Europe with all the different countries. In the United States, each state is almost like a little country on its own right. So even if things get really bad in some parts of the United States, in some states you will most likely have a state within the United States to go to. It would take something very extreme to force you to evacuate the United States. But I because think that... you wanted to come here, right? I mean, if you had your choice, if you could have went anywhere... Yeah, I, I, no doubt there. whatsoever. I would have ended up in Texas, absolutely. Okay. I, I wrote cool. so in the book, yeah. <laughs> completely <laughs> honest about it. I would have gone to the United States. People say... I mean, I, you would be surprised how many emails I get from people asking me, I'm in the United States and I want to go to Argentina, or I'm in the United States and I want to go to Costa Rica. I, I kind of slap them through the internet, but I wish I could, because <laughs> it pisses me quite a bit to realize that they don't realize how lucky they are. And they don't realize that in spite of all the problems, that it is true, that there, there's many of those, but in spite of all that, it's still the best place to be in. There's, of course, other good options. I'm, I'm not complaining absolutely about where I am right now. It's, it's great in many aspects, but the United States would be, uh, especially for people like-minded, so I should put it some way, it's definitely the best country to be in. Well, I think it goes back to kind of what you were talking about in the beginning, that to, to get through tough times, you have to have a very optimistic and very uh, warrior-like mentality. And the one thing I'll say for this country, we screw a lot of stuff up. There is a lot of freedom being taken away here, but there's always pockets of, of opportunity where yeah. people that just say, you know what, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking what I want, and I'm doing what I want, and I'm going to make stuff, and, and not from the, uh, the criminal angle where I'm going to take your stuff, but I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to make something out of this. Like yeah. That's something we still have here in abundance. That, that's a very American attitude that's not found elsewhere. In Europe, it's more about... Um, it, it, it lacks that kind of attitude. In the United States, it's more about uh, go forward, try to make it work. And yeah, sure, you have people that maybe aren't that way, but then you have a lot of people that do have that attitude. And that makes a, a heck of a difference. Uh, you also have the Second Amendment, which is not a minor detail. Not any other country has it. So uh, that's a, a very important. It, it's, it's not just about guns. It's about uh, an entire attitude and appreciation for individual liberties that it's not found elsewhere. In other countries, people are willing to sacrifice personal liberties for at least a feeling of, of safety. In the United States, not so much. So, yeah, I completely agree with you regarding that. It's, uh, in many other things, people do react like in other places, but it does have 
uh, a certain uniqueness to it. Well, I mean, you've always been a proponent, too, that like when you do bug out, for whatever reason, uh, and I think there's two types of bugging out. There's like a permanent or semi-permanent bug out that you're doing, and then there's like yeah. a bug out because like, oh, gee, down the road the chemical plant is leaking chemicals, and I need to get the hell out of here so I don't die. Right. Yeah. Well, unless your house burns down, you're probably coming back. But when when people do bug out, uh, on, on that permanent to semi-permanent basis, the mentality of all the prepper fiction and stuff is like the middle of Idaho <laughs> in the mountains or some crap. Right. You've always been like, you don't really want to be there because if things are really bad, then there's no, you know, then it's really easy for me to kill you. Basically. I don't really understand it. I mean, what is it with people? They don't have family. They don't have a single friend they can count on when things, when, when their house burns down. I mean, if my house burns down, I would go to family, friends, someone that can help me out for some time. I wouldn't be going to the middle of the woods. Well, no, no I'm, talking about, you know, I'm talking about more about like, okay, so if there's uh, an economic collapse, that's where these people think they're going to go. Right. right? And, and I think there's always opportunities somewhere, and it's probably where other people are. It's probably not in the middle of nowhere. You know what? I, I've known people that lost their houses because of the economic collapse in Argentina. They ended up living not in the mountains, but in their mom's kitchen. With their kids, you know what I mean. The, the famous, oh, he must be a, a teen living in his mom's basement. That's exactly when you where you end up in an economic collapse. You end up in your mom's basement because you lose your house and you realize that woods is a very cold place and totally suck over there. So you move to your mom's house or your dad's house or your brothers, your uncles. So start building up those bridges and your and those uh, relationships and friendships. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the other thing is, like, I think one of the big dangers in this country right now, though, is if you have major economic turmoil, like, no one owns their home anymore, it seems like. So, like, the reason you ended up in your mom's house is their house was paid for 10 years ago. Exactly. And at least everybody could go there, but now people are carrying mortgages into their 80s. (laughs) It's crazy, yeah. So, given that if you were to be asked by somebody that's in America where they should bug out to, you would tell them, don't stay in, you know, just stay put, stay in your country. Cause yeah. Right. A person that's looking at getting your new book. That's an American. Would there still be value in it for them then? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote it keeping in mind. I mean, I, I understand that 99% of the people that read my book are Americans. I still think that uh, you still need to have a plan in case, Something like that happens where you end up having to leave your country. There's still a possibility. It's extremely rare. It's not very likely. But in, the, in, in this time and age, really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say never, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of brought it on himself, but I would point out as a successful bug out was executed by, uh, by Snowden, right? Yeah. I mean, if he didn't have a bug out plan, he'd probably be sharing a cell with Bradley Manning right now. Exactly. I mean, the, the guy had an idea of where he was going to be heading. He knew that he was going to be having, because of his particular circumstances, he would be ha- having allies in that country. Maybe that's not, not your case, but you have to leave for some other reason because there's a war with Russia or whatever. But, you know, you have uh, someone in Canada, you have someone in, in, in England, in Russia, where in, <laughs> wherever it is that, that it may be. But you at least have a, an idea of where you're going to be heading if it ever comes down to that. I do think that people maybe have lost touch with that, that like any one of us could have an incident or something go on in our lives where we personally need to get out. Because we talk about it all the time from a disaster standpoint. Like I always say, 
you know, people say, well, what, what disaster should I prefer, prepare for? I'm like, well, really, you should prepare to deal with out systems of support. But if we're going to start on that continuum, let's start out with something like losing your job or getting hurt at work or having a family member die or having your house burn down because all of those things are more likely to occur than the whole nation being screwed at the same time. And I, and, and I think the potential to need to get the hell out of someplace is actually higher for any single individual than any large group of individuals as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you don't just have to get out of, of your country, especially in the United States, and especially in the United States where you know people from our states, people that move around, people that uh, are no longer in that particular state. Uh, that's the kind of thing that you, you need to uh, cultivate because those are the guys that if you ever, as you said, you lose your job or you have to leave your state because your state is going through a particularly hard economic time, there's no jobs, there's no employment there, uh, or, or everything, some other circumstance forces you out of that, you still have another state within the same country where you can start over, where you can get back on your feet. Yeah, you know, now that you're talking like that, I, I realize that this country is full of people who have spent a, a lot of their lives bugging out. Like, that's common in this country, that people eventually just look around and go, you know what, Illinois sucks, and I'm not going to find a good job. And they find a good job in Florida or North Dakota or Texas or a state that's encouraging positive economic growth. And because it's so easy for us to do, I think maybe a lot of times Americans bug out without realizing that's what they did because they didn't need to get a passport. Uh, they didn't need to get a work visa. They didn't have to go through anything complicated. They didn't get shot at. They just said, this sucks, and I'm going to go elsewhere where it doesn't suck so bad. And, do, you know, like, so when I came here from Pennsylvania, I wasn't like, Pennsylvania so sucks, and, and Texas is so perfect, but I was like, Pennsylvania kind of sucks, and, <laughs> and Texas is a, is a lot better. I mean, there's a lot of things I could complain about here, right. uh, like, you know, June, July, and August, for one, but um, in general, it's just a better, it was a better opportunity for a young person to get on their feet, to build a career. Uh, now, as a business person, not having a state income tax on my company, that's kind of nice. That's that's 8% of the money that I don't have to give away. Right. Absolutely. So, like, we do that all the time in this country without even thinking about it. Yeah, and it's, and it's extremely healthy to have that, uh, that uh, detachment of, okay, if it's not working for me, uh, I, I'm capable of going elsewhere. It's always nice to set roots, you know? It's always nice to... You know, I've always liked the idea of, yeah, I've known my neighbors for 30 years or whatever, or my, my parents grew in, the, in this neighborhood. But then again, you know, I mean, my, my, my father, he was born in Spain, and his, his parents, you know, bugged out of Spain during the Civil War. You know, people were very hungry back then in the country, so they left. They just And back then it was so much harder because you would be getting in a boat without knowing where you were going, Spending three weeks in a, in a in a boat going across the ocean, and uh, today it's it's so much easier. There's really no reason not to have at least some plans lay ahead in case. Yeah, you know, and I so on that note, like, do you think your book might be helpful to Americans that just want to relocate in the country? Because, like I said, we do it without thinking about it, and maybe that's like a problem like we should put more strategic thought because your book's really about a strategic type of relocation like yeah. bugged out is a good term because it gets people's attention but it's really more of a relocation philosophy than a, a runaway philosophy 
Exactly. I cover the book is basically two parts. The first one is is bugging out. Your house burns down. You have five minutes to leave. Ha- grab whatever you can. That kind of scenario. That's what I, I, I consider as, as bugging out right in the moment. Relocating is uh, um, a more cool-headed thought of okay, where is it that I'm going to be better positioned at? In in the part of relocating, actually uh, within the United States, I use several charts explaining uh, that explain on their own. You know, charts uh, going uh, through uh, the economy, crime, uh, education uh, on all states. And that gives you a very clear picture of where you should be heading. Texas clearly ranks very well. So do other states. So it's not about worrying over volcanic eruptions. It's about realizing where you have less crime, better economic opportunities, better education for your kids if you have those, better quality of life. Those are things that, at least to me, matter the most. So for people that are like, I'm staying put, I, I, I'm pretty happy where I am, what would they get out of your book? They would at least get out the idea that they have, uh, first of all, you, no matter where you are, you still have to have a plan in case your house burns down over you. That's always a possibility. <laughs> I mean, it happens every single day. You cannot be the, the exception, you know. So at least have, first of all, have a plans for bugging out in case that's what you have to do. If you have one minute, if you have five minutes, if you have an hour because there's a, a flood heading your way and you have to leave depending where you are. That's the first thing you should be uh, considering. Then have plans in case you have to relocate elsewhere, in case there's uh, a more large-scale disaster that, you know, think of, of Katrina. You have to leave the state uh, or you have to leave the, 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 your entire neighborhood because you're not going to be able to live there for maybe months or years even, depending on the nature of the disaster. That's the kind of thing that you have to plan for as well. Yeah, definitely. I think people that, that say, well, I'm never leaving are not in touch with the facts uh, of reality. Well, sometimes like you I, don't have a choice, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we had, now it ended up being like a two-day thing, but what I, what I was talking about at the beginning of the show was exactly what happened. We had a water treatment plant, and next thing you know, there's a giant released cloud of chlorine gas and some other crap that they didn't want to say what it was. And yeah, when you, you're going to die, if you don't go, you have to go. So I think the problem is that Americans think or I'd say preppers and survivalists think in the terms of bug out means run away or to go away forever, where bug outs come in durations, anything from a day to an hour to a year to the rest of your life. And always there's a huge disruption in your life when you have to leave behind all the comforts of home. And there's a reason there's a resistance to it. Uh, And I think sometimes people are too quick to bug out because if I stay in my house, even if my power's off, I have all my stuff, I have all my food, right. I have my weapons, I have all my neighbors in my community around me, I have all my gardens, I have my animals, I have protection for my dogs. I mean, I have everything here. So I don't want to go unless I have to, but there's, and because of that, there's always this major disruption to your life. So if you don't have a plan versus do have a plan, you have to go, you're going to end up a lot better off regardless of how long the duration is. Yeah, and it could be a, um, a number of things. That's why you, you should have different places, different possibilities. Any normal person that has family, that has friends, knows someone in your neighborhood, knows someone within your, your, your same city, your same state, and people out of that state. So depending on, on the nature of what's happening, maybe it's just a matter to, of moving to your sister's house or your brother's house that lives 
10 blocks from where you are or, or five miles from where you are. And you can still go to, go to the same job that you go. You can still send the kids to the same school that you send them. And it doesn't disrupt your life as much. It's, it's a matter of having as, as many options as possible. But if you don't do that, you're completely caught by surprise. Because as you were saying, people think, well, I'm never going to be bugging out. My plan is to bug in. And I tell them, sometimes you don't have an option. It's not a matter of choice. Of course, that whenever possible, you stay where you are because there's where you have all your resources. And when people email me about, well, should I be bugging out because of the economic crisis? You don't bug out because of of the stock market dropping a few points or whatever. You you do that when you don't have an option. You know, whenever you can stay put, if if bugging in is is an option for you, that's always the best course of action. But when you cannot have that. You have no other choice but to leave. The, the burning house is the perfect example. And one more thing is when people talk about, I already live in my bug out location. That's yeah. a, a complete misunderstanding of what bug out location means. Bug out location is somewhere else besides where you already live. Where you would be heading if where you live is compromised. Yeah. I think what happens is a lot of times civilians adopt military language and don't understand what it means. So when when we were involved with engagement planning in the military, and if something went wrong, bugging out was something you did, not somewhere you went. You, when you bug out, you go to a fallback location, right? Not a bug out location, a fallback location. So you fall back, reassess, and then try to continue your objective. Now, life is not quite as clear cut. It's not go take that hill, but... That's what bugging out in life should be. It's it's a fall. It, the location itself is where you fall back to, and to think that there's anywhere that you would go that where there's no need hypothetically for a fallback location is kind of stupid. I mean, it was something we never did in the military. You never planned some type of a maneuver, and whether it was uh, a force on force engagement or whether it was something simply like mo- like moving up like twenty trucks in a convoy where there was no combat expectation, there was still Here's the contingency. If right. things don't go right, though, if your vehicle breaks down and you have to be the last guy in a convoy and your radio fails, here's your procedure, right? So we have this, this like, that makes perfect sense to me, I guess, from being private service military, but that's something very few people have in their lives anymore is, what is plan B? And when people say, well, I don't have a plan B, I'm like, dude, you really need a plan B. There's, you know, there was a recently, I think it was uh, just a few months ago in Oregon, in one of the one of the areas in Oregon known for prepper survivalists that have their homesteads over there. There was this wildfire that burned down. I don't know how many of those homes. And those were guys that were thinking, I'm already in my bug out location. I mean, your homestead, your house may be fantastic, but that doesn't mean that there's not always the possibility of something happening that requires that you you have a contingency plan for it. Yeah, we had fires that went, you know, through South Texas a year ago down by Bastrop, forest fires, and they were really bad. A lot of people had to leave, and then people up here where I live, it's mostly plains. There's some woodlots here and there, but it's far more open. And people are like, well, that wouldn't happen here. Well, we had ten years ago, I guess now. We had grass fires in a dry summer. They were worse because they moved faster. And I remember at one place, if you could imagine the heat this would have t- taken, the grass was about head high in the field. And as it burned through, there was a telephone pole that ended up hanging from the wires because it didn't get the poles to either side. And it looked like so, like a giant with a giant blowtorch <laughs> cut a hole through the middle of the telephone pole. Now, if you've ever tried to burn a telephone pole, 
right? You're talking about massive heat. So that's another example of something that people even think, well, I don't have to worry about forest fires. Well, you know, if there's anything vegetative around you, that fire is an issue. So uh, California has had issues with forest fires, with mudslides, with earthquakes. And those are just, you know, natural things. And then what about volcanoes? Do stupid things, right? Like build, you know, nuclear reactors on the coast yeah. where there's a, uh, volcanoes in a tsunami zone and earthquakes. That's brilliant, right? I mean, I, it, what was the name of the, 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 the play? Fukushima, right? If Fukushima, you look at Fukushima, yeah. I think bugging out is a pretty good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine saying, oh, I'm bugging in. That's my plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was in Buenos Aires when uh, the volcano Lanin in Patagonia erupted. The ashes reached Buenos Aires and it was a, a layer of ash in the morning. It, it was it was surreal. But, you know, 3000 miles away, a volcano erupts and covers your city with volcanic ash. <laughs> It happens, you know. Every once in a while, you're. <laughs> it could happen. What advice do you have for Americans that are thinking about leaving our country and doing so strategically? You mentioned Costa Rica, and I have mixed emotions about that because I know some of the problems you'd run into there. But I, when I look at it purely from a tax standpoint, I yeah. get about fifty thousand dollars a year back in my pocket if if I were to go set up a business in Costa Rica right now and move my business there. So that's that's in a way tempting. I mean, that's 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 more money than a lot of people even make. Um, and then I can think of other nations where I can do the same thing, very different problems. But, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that there's certain nations over in, in, in the Far East now that have made it very, very encouraging business climates for Americans to, to relocate, expatriate there. Is there any case for that if you're doing it strategically from an economic standpoint? I think you have to be very careful about who you're getting your advice from. Mm -hmm. If you pick any uh, expat magazine, you're going to be uh, finding lots of uh, good points for Costa Rica, for Panama. Now, going to Costa Rica and going to Panama, spending a couple of years there, you realize that it's not nearly as nice as it looks. Everything looks like a tropical paradise on pictures. Once you're over there, Costa Rica is mad with crime. It's uh, people that live in Costa Rica email me and tell me, you know, Americans that move over there, they tell me, I'm moving back to the United States because crime here is impossible. People that live over there tell me that all the time. Same thing for Panama. Most of Central America is very dangerous. You know, Mexico is, is no joke either. So you have to realize that many of, of these publications, they, they have a vested interest because their advertisers are from these places, you know, sure. or, or realtors that sell in these places. So, of course, if I have my advertisers selling property in Costa Rica, you cannot say, don't go there, it's a complete dump, you know? Yeah, I think it's very subjective too. I mean, like, so when I when I was in the military, I spent a lot of time in Costa Rica, not in military service. That was where I went when I was off. Right. And I had a family I knew to the point where they had practically adopted me as like a son, and they lived in a in a in a beautiful place, and there were no problems there. But you go into the city, right, and you walk down one street the wrong direction, especially if you're blonde, blonde hair and blue eyes like I am, you're <laughs> taking your life into your hands, yeah. and. I don't think people get that those extremes exist everywhere. When I was I was stationed in Panama for two years, and there were places in Panama that unless something drastically changed, you you could probably go and, and, and leave your stuff sitting out, and no one would take it. And there's places where the very fact that you were an American would get you killed. Yeah, or, or kidnapped for ransom. Oh, definitely kidnapped, because you're worth more kidnapped than dead. 
I mean, absolutely. If I'm a criminal in Panama and I see an American guy walking down the street, I'm taking him in. I'm taking him home, and I'm getting, uh, I'm making my, I'm getting my retirement money with you. You know, it's, it makes perfect sense. So people sometimes get encouraged because of all the nice pictures and such. And you know, some people honestly live there and really like it. But these are the kind of folks that turn a blind eye to some of the things that you're mentioning and choose. Okay, I prefer not to worry about that sort of thing. Maybe they're lucky, maybe they're not. But you cannot ignore that it's a, a pretty big problem, especially when you have the United States. If you like that kind of, of tropical climate, why not go to Florida? Sure. Instead? You know, much sure. safer. You're in the United States. You have the, the nice weather that, that you're supposedly looking for. I think it's, um, there's really no, no point, at least the way I see it, to go uh, to one of some of these uh, countries. You know, sometimes people are looking for something else. Uh, they want a, a little bit more of a, a, a different lifestyle. Maybe Canada is a good place for, for folks that want to have more of a, of a quiet life and a, a different take of things. And there, there's always options if you're not completely happy. And remember that there's people very different. I know an American that's completely happy and uh, wouldn't leave uh, India for anything in his life. I mean, he's ta we're talking India, right? Yes. The guy is happy over there and you're obviously right? very not different. Me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's hard to believe because I know what life in, in the cities in India is like, and it ain't good. It's, um, but what, what can you tell someone that's, that's happy living yeah. there and says, because of the spiritual connection that people have here with whatever, I mean, go nuts on it. If you love that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to get my head around that one because that'd be the last place I'd pick. I mean, uh, just talk about or Thailand. Thailand is another place where there's quite a bit of uh, Americans uh, as well. Yeah. See, now I know a guy in Thailand, right? And here's his right. deal: he bought himself like a two-acre island, but it's not an island like you think of, like way out at sea. It's like an island you could build a bridge to right. walk across, right? From the from the mainland, like a like one of these little pieces. And he went there, and what he has now, he set up a frisbee golf course on this little island. He's got these Taiwanese chicks running around in golf carts, <laughs> selling beer and wine and stuff out of the back of the golf carts. And his statement to me is, everything I'm doing here is illegal for me to do in the United States. <laughs> and, and he goes, I have a great life. I have a great income. Nobody bothers me. He says there is some issues with the local PD, but he pays them off. And he's like, you pay taxes. I pay them directly. What's the difference? And <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I don't have much of an answer other than it's a little bit easier for them to change the rules quickly than, than it is right. here. It's a little bit more process. But, I mean, if he's happy, that's fine. I'm not going off to do it. But, you know, when he says to me, if you set this up without a business license and an alcohol license and whatever, they'll put you under the jail in your country. And over here, no one gives a shit. I have to say he's not wrong about that. Yeah, but it's a very dangerous. I mean, I, I admire the, the courage to do that sort of thing. But as you say, they can take it away from you just like that because you're not even on the, you know, in those places where corruption is such a big problem, I, I've heard similar things regarding Argentina, you know. Yeah, Argentina is great because everything is so corrupt, you just pay off this and that. Yeah, but don't forget that whenever they feel like it, they can just <laughs> steal from you or extort you or take away as much as they can or, or just kill you and throw you under a bridge, you know. Those are all things that can happen as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think of the, the quote by Darth Vader, right? I'm altering the terms of our agreement 
be thankful yeah. I don't alter them further. Right? right. So what do you think of the philosophy of people like Tim Ferriss then? So he's basically, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, but yeah. yes, I am. Right. Yeah. Like he's, he'll be in Berlin for like two months and then he'll go to Latvia, yeah. you know, and then over to Chile and then maybe back to the States for a couple months. And, you know, he runs this kind of globe trotting lifestyle yeah, and his well, response from from a prepper standpoint is, I'm so mobile, <laughs> right? That, that I could just if if something starts to not work here, I'm I'm prepared to leave because I was probably leaving in a few weeks anyway. I mean, personally, I don't like that because well, that doesn't work for having chickens and food forests <laughs> and homesteading and all the stuff I do. But I guess I can understand the 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 allure of that, especially when you're young. Well, the first thing I realize is that it's it's uh, that image that so-called lifestyle is his business he makes money out of sure. projecting that international man of danger and you know, yeah. dancing tango in Argentina and doing karate in Singapore or whatnot that, that's his thing that's what he's selling the, 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 the reason why people click or buy whatever it is that he's selling um, as you say for you it wouldn't work I have a couple kids it wouldn't work for me either I cannot be moving around all day long I mean I could if I didn't have kids, but it's not much of a lifestyle that I would like, and it's pretty much impossible with children. So, at least for me, or at least for you either, it's not a very practical proposition. But it's true that mobility is an asset. If you if you have that, you don't have to be Tim Ferriss to have at least some resources in terms of mobility. Just knowing a little bit about how to move around is is going to be helpful enough if it ever comes down to it. Now, you mentioned having money offshore, like having money outside of your country, Yeah, which I think is a very smart thing to do. Very, very easy for an Argentine. Well, not anymore, but was. <laughs> you probably did it before it got hard, right? Yeah. And most yeah. countries, if you want to open a bank account in another country, as long as your passport doesn't say United States on it, they're like, put your money here. We're fine. Well, so what advice do you have for the American then? On, on being able to do that when it's that, so difficult. Yeah, th that's one of the things that I cover in the book as well. I explain the importance of, of having uh, a second citizenship. And that's something that Tim Ferriss talks about. But that's something that my grandpa, wise old man, <laughs> did yeah. before Tim Ferriss was, was even born. Because he had a, ta a hard time leaving Spain and moving to Argentina when he wasn't a citizen the first thing he did when I was 18 years old was get my, my Spanish citizenship for me. And he saved us uh, through that because thanks to that old man, thanks to my grandfather, I have European citizenship now and I can give it to my children. It allows me to move through Europe like a citizen in any country. It allows you to do everything from living there to opening a bank account. That's one of the things that many Americans don't realize. They have many, uh, maybe a, a grandparent from the old uh, continent, right? Or... Uh, some uh, Irish or English, and they don't even bother getting that second citizenship. That second citizenship may be the greatest asset you have in a worst-case scenario. Now, how, how does that exactly work for people, right? Because my grandfather and my grandmother on my dad's side came here from the Ukraine. They're also long dead. I, you know... Yeah, it really depends on... me then to go to the Ukraine and say, hey, my grandfather was from your country, I yeah. want a passport. Maybe you're able to do so. It depends on each, on each case. For example, in, in Ireland, if you have grandparents, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't remember right now. I, I wrote about it, but I don't remember if, it was, if, if they still have to be alive or not. But if you have grandparents 
from Ireland, you can claim your Irish citizenship. It won't cost you much. You just have to present the paperwork, but you will get Irish citizenship in the end. Uh, same thing for, for Italy, for Spain, and most of Europe. Uh, I would look into it because having that second citizenship uh, opens uh, lots of possibilities for you. What about for people that don't have that option? Would you say that like so? I, I get weary of people that say just get rid of all your money and buy gold. But to me, the beauty of gold is I can carry enough wealth behind my belt buckle to start a new life. So at least I, I have the the portability of of wealth that's exchangeable anywhere in the world. Exactly. You can walk into any city in the world, and you will be able to sell that gold that you have hidden in a belt for whatever local currency they're using. Nothing else gives you that that kind of of freedom, that 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 much uh, value in terms of, of bulk as well. Sometimes people focus only on silver because it's cheaper, right? They yeah. conceive it as as cheaper, but they don't realize that one of the things I learned the hard way is that when you have to leave, like I did. Silver gets very, very heavy, so so it's a good idea to have, even if it looks very small, being small is a huge advantage when you're leaving like, like I did, or like many other people did during wars or during um, you know, unsteady circumstances, gold is much, much better than silver. What are your thoughts on things like Bitcoin, specifically with the off- line wallets where I can learn a mnemonic device, remember it in my head, go anywhere in the world and then claim my money back? You know, I, I like it. I like the idea, the principle of it. Uh, that, um, but then again, how, how acceptable is it? In, in, as we were talking about before, with gold, I know that any downtown, uh, in any town center, I'm going to be selling my gold. My Bitcoin it seems to be like a very good idea and accepted in many places, actually. But I, I didn't, I, I'm still not so uh, so confident in it. I, I'm a little bit more of a old <laughs> old school philosophy regarding uh, it, it, things being proven in time. Eventually, in a, in a few more years, maybe it's something I would be uh, able to trust a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think to me the the big advantage is that. I can do it intellectually, right? So I can keep that in my head. Right. So you can't you can't possibly seize that from me. Like if I have a few thousand dollars worth of gold and I'm getting on an airplane, it can be taken away. Right. But you can't make me tell you how to get to my Bitcoin. Right. I did, I, I think that's why the people in in power really don't like it because you, the thing that I like the most about Bit, Bitcoin is the people that don't like it. That's what I like about it the most. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even when I didn't understand really what it was all about, I really love that, you know, ah, it makes it's making making these guys nervous and must be very good for the average person, you know. When uh when you look at the US and our ability to own firearms, it must be uh, uh like really kind of a uh, an annoying thing that there's people that that don't really take advantage of it. I mean, it's it's far more difficult in just about every other country in the world to own a weapon. What is the, what is that like in, in Northern Ireland? Are you able to own a gun? What do you have to go through? Is there a limit on how many? Or, you know, can I own something you can't? Well, it's actually Northern Ireland is the 25th most armed country in the world. <laughs> so it, it's, it's surprising because Northern Ireland, where I am now, it's part of the United Kingdom. You know, United Kingdom is England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. 
Northern Ireland is definitely the place with most guns, but it's also the safest part of the United Kingdom. A fact that lots of the anti-gun people don't like mentioning, but it's in fact true. So, yeah, you can own guns here. It's not nearly as good as in the United States, but it's the only part in UK where you can own a, a handgun. You can own a Glock pistol. I actually uh, huh. went uh, to a tournament uh, last year and <laughs> here. So there's, uh, there's a possibility of owning uh, long arms. The restriction is mostly for semi-automatic, magazine-fed, uh, centerfire rifles, no ARs, no AKs. Okay. But you can have. Uh, oh man, you're stuck. Your your FALs out, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, <laughs> but wow. uh, yeah, handguns and and some uh, some of the long arms uh, are are possible. Yeah. So now instead of calling you furfell, I have to call you furglap. Fur, fur... <laughs> oh yeah, or fur only, like like, like my wife does. <laughs> <laughs> So what as a as a basically an Argentinian expatriate in Northern Ireland what was the local community like as far as greeting you I mean have you really began to put down some roots are you accepted are you still that out of towner guy I mean Oh man it was I mean the first year was I couldn't believe it because coming from Argentina I was used to living with you know always you were going on the streets and wondering if you had to shoot someone or not now, going from living behind bars, basically, I lived, in Buenos Aires, I lived with a, uh, a bulletproof door and burglar bars on my windows and your gun next to you all the time. Here, you realize that people don't even lock the doors. So, it's a, it's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, you know, acceptance, as always, whenever you move to a new place, it's not easy in terms of being accepted, but I think we've gone a long way. I have some local friends now. Uh, there's uh, a couple of Argentine people as well here, which is nice. So, yeah, little by little. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, if people want to get your book, how do they do that? If they want to read the stuff you write all the time online, where do they get more information? Well, I have my website, which is themonosurvivalist.com, and uh, the YouTube channel by the same name, and my books... Uh, the Modern Survival Manual and Bugging Out and Relocating are both available in, in Amazon as well. Cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you being with us on the air today, Fernando. It was great talking with you, Jack. Hope we do it again next time. All right, man. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And, folks, that's been Jack Spirico today along with Fernando Aguirre, helping you figure out how to live that better life if Tom's gets tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.